everyone is called to mission. Uh, the universal call to holiness and the universal call to mission are inseparable. And it looks different for people, right? Depending on your charism, depending on your state in life. But the Lord made everyone in some way, shape or form to be missionary and to evangelize. And that's what good evangelization formation, that's what that does. And so in a parish, it could look like a charism assessment, like called and gifted out of the Catherine of Siena Institute. It's probably some very simple skill training in prayer and intercession, how to share your story, how to share the gospel in a conversational way, maybe how to facilitate a small group, just a handful of things. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It's not a master's degree. It's just a very practical equipping for people wherever they're at in their, their state in life to be able to share their faith in their ordinary coming and going. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live this podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello and welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. It's great to have you back. If this is your first time accessing the podcast, Welcome. We talk about issues that surround leadership, particularly leadership in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not easy. The reason I spend and dedicate my life to this pursuit is because I believe people were made great. And I think the best way for people to access greatness is through Jesus and the local parish. And so making sure that parishes work matters. My guest today wrote a book called a Clear Path, How to Make Missionary Disciples in Your Parish. Please give a nice warm welcome for Jim Jensen. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. Good to be with you. Okay, we're going to jump into a lot of things, but I want to start by asking you, what do you hope people get from reading this book? Oh, that's awesome. I'd love that. Uh, you know, I mean, just short and sweet, I hope they get a plan, like a real workable plan to make and mature disciples in their parish. And maybe as a bonus, they'd get a team of people who get it and who are ready to do it with them. Mm. Well, we say that, like if we just do church well, isn't that the automatic fruit is to make missionary disciples in your local parish? Uh, well, when you say, yeah, I mean, yes, that's the, when you say do church well, a lot of people, you know, mean different things when they say mm. that. But you know, you and I, and I think in you know the mind of the church and in the Lord, the mission is to make disciples, mm. uh, to make disciples of all nations, and and our our uh, our, our churches are just kind of local missionary outposts uh, mm -hmm. that have a, a sphere of influence, a neighborhood, a mission field, all their own. Amen. Amen. So, so if I'm listening to this, and I'm just setting up the conversation because, you know, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, good people, like good Catholic faithful people who go to church and say, you know, the problem is just people stop going to church. Like they just got to get their butts back to church. Yeah, somebody and, tell them <laughs> back to church. <laughs> right. Yeah, how's it working for your kids? <laughs> right. Yeah. Kids. But, and, and so there's just not a sense of what do you mean? Like what, what's at the heart of what we might not be getting right or, or like, tell me a little bit about that again, the, oh, the a clear path of making missionary disciples. Like 
what's the problem? What are we up against that that's not happening? Well, I mean, part of it is, you know, we as a church are in, I think, a season where we are rediscovering our missionary identity. And I would say that particularly for those of Mm -hmm. us in the West, um, I don't know how many listeners you have in the underground church in China, uh, but they're like, I don't, you know, they're like, they are firmly in the heart of their, their missionary identity. Uh, Mm -hmm. But for many of us in the West, United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, we're, we're kind of rediscovering that. And I would Mm -hmm. say, you know, where I'm from, I'm here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, The biggest pastoral problem that we had you know, for the first couple of centuries of the church here is we had all of these immigrants, Irish, Czech, German, Polish, and they came with faith flooding, uh, a, you know, a, a continent. And in this case, my state, Nebraska, and there, the church wasn't here. And so the biggest pastoral problem was how do we provide the sacraments for these people who want it? And so we developed a, a very strong emphasis on pastoral care and we didn't we didn't develop our missionary muscles. Um, mm-hmm. And now we're in a place where people aren't just coming because of their ethnicity anymore. Right. And we're, we're now having to rediscover, like, what does it actually mean to make disciples? And, you know, the church has been talking about that in earnest for the last, mm-hmm. I mean, you could say 30, 50 years. But. I think there's been a a gap. I'm hoping this book kind of fills in the very practical. Yeah, but what does that actually mean in a parish Tuesday morning? Like, Mm -hmm. what does that mean for me? If I'm the youth minister, if I'm the pastor, the adult evangelization coordinator on staff, like, what does that mean Tuesday morning? And so what I try and do in the book is lay out, listen, there's this process of conversion that the church is laid out that people go through. Uh, you can call it the catechumenal model. There's lots of different kind of, you know, names for it. There's this process. And if we can create a, a ministry context for people at some of these major steps in the journey, mm-hmm. if we can create a context where the missionary disciples we have can reach out to people and, and help draw them in in friendship, help introduce them to the Lord, help them mature and then finally equip them as missionary disciples. If we have a context there, we can make and mature disciples mm. far more effectively than we're doing now. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing you say, as you say, that is, is we need, we, we have an opportunity to be more intentional than ever. And if we have the, a similar language for it, and if we're collaborating and working together and understand where all, what this process is, then we can work together. We can understand where we're at in that where our ministries, uh, how it participates in that and how we can work together. Because my sense is it doesn't happen by accident anymore. Like the idea of going through, go to a Catholic school, get your sacraments, you're a missionary disciple. That, that's doesn't necessarily, like we know that doesn't work. Right. Right. No, it, it doesn't. And, and I'll even raise you one, you know, my background uh, is as a missionary. I worked with Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, for almost 20 years. And that's what I did day in and day out. I made disciples, and then I equipped other people to make disciples. And what's interesting, part of, I think, what, what drove this book was this, um, if I can be honest, slightly horrifying 
revelation that people who were rock star missionaries on campus, they would go anywhere, do anywhere the Lord took them. They would talk to anybody and they were heavy hitters. I mean, they would like walk up to an atheist on campus and before long, like the spirit's moving and this person's like, I don't know, maybe I will come back to church. I mean, just amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, and they, and they land in their parish and God bless them. They're raising their kids Catholic, which is, you know, no small feat these days. And they're on the pastoral council and they're singing in the choir. But they weren't evangelizing anymore. And mm. as I talked to them and kind of heard their stories, what I realized is like, they're like, I don't have the context I need. Like, mm. like and they were still doing it right, you know, with their families and, and occasionally with neighbors and coworkers. But it wasn't nearly as fruitful as it could have been because mm. the parish wasn't structured to help them. And I, I think you could say it this way, like a missionary disciple, a true missionary disciple is just going to bear fruit wherever they're at. The question is, how much fruit are they going to bear? And, mm. you know, vines bear fruit if you just kind of let them grow wild. But they really bear fruit if you give them a trellis. And, and that's what a clear path is. It's a framework. It's a trellis so that the missionary disciples you have can bear more fruit. Amen. Amen. And I ha can't help but think that's going to take, yes, the trellis. What, so, so how much of that trellis is the clear path? How much of that trellis is understanding leadership in the context of parishes and how, like, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think they're inseparable. I would say, you know, my team and I here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, we've been working with parish leaders. Many of them have been working at this, right? They've been mm -hmm. approaching uh, their parish renewal, saying like, okay, we, we got to figure out how to make disciples and, and we got a plan. You know, we, we've got a, a clear path. We're going to lay this thing out um, and we're going to meet people at every stage of the journey and help them take their next step. What, what we've noticed, though, is that those who are maybe... I don't know, more naturally, uh, uh, stereotypically a leader, they begin, I love the way John Maxwell talks about this. They just have a leadership bias. Their mm. first thought is about leadership. Their first thought is about putting together a team. And that's fantastic. That's not necessarily where everybody's at in terms of, right. I would say like, you know, there's a, there's a call that I would say every pastor, every parish has to make disciples, but mm. not all of them are kind of built in that maybe more stereotypical leadership mode. And what we mm. found is those who are, who have that kind of leadership instinct, they, they make great progress very quickly because they're like, Oh, okay, I need to find a team and I need to be a leader. So that means I need to have a vision. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And they're just kind of intuitively running into that. What we notice is kind of like the next wave of the more kind of everyday uh, folks their first thought isn't about leadership. Their first thought is about people. How, how do I keep my people from getting lost? That their heart, yeah, you know, there may be in terms of like a kind of a charism, they're, they're shepherds at heart yes. and, and they don't want to see people, anybody get lost. Their heart aches for those who have drifted away. For them, it seems like their first step is, okay, give me a plan to, to get them back. Give me a plan to make disciples, to mature the disciples I have, to equip people. Mm. And, and pretty quickly they start with the plan and they're like, Oh, and now I need a team because this is a lot and I can't do it by myself. And okay. Yeah. And, and they, they get the same place, but I yes. think depending on temperament, 
it starts, the, the journey starts differently. That's well said. And, you know, one of the things, and we'll break it down some more, but one of the things I loved about your book is that, and, you know, I noticed, you know, Father James Mallon is endorsed it on the back. And, and, you know, I think to myself, I wish we had this book when we were at St. Benedict Parish because we did develop a clear path, but yeah, we didn't know how and we fumbled around it. And we were four years in before we were looking in the rearview mirror to, to say in this holy chaos that we've created mm -hmm. where's the where's the gold like like we have to sort through yeah. a bunch of stuff to try to find out what's working because clearly something stuff is working in the midst of chaos and right. i think your book would have been so helpful for us you know, Ron, thank you for saying that. Cause I mean, you're, I mean, you're the real deal. You guys did it. You guys are leading the way. I mean, you developed a language and a, a trail for other people to follow it, in many ways. As I was writing the book, I was, I felt a little bit like a reporter, um, which is funny because my wife is a professional journalist and she's like, honey, you are so not a reporter. <laughs> so it's like, to, to, to be clear, it is not written in a journalistic style. <laughs> but, but as I was writing it, I kept reflecting on the stories of the parishes that I had seen and worked with that did it, that saw fruit and success. And some of those are, you know, folks that, that you've been associated with, folks that have worked with the Divine Renovation Network, folks, you know, that we work with here in Omaha, uh, other parishes from my missionary days. And I was just kind of constantly going back and kind of mining the universals from the people who had figured it out and, mm -hmm. and seeing if I could assemble that in a kind of logical, systematic way. Because yeah. not all, not everybody has this, the patience that you and Father Mellon had to just figure it out in the midst of the chaos. No, that's true. And to keep pushing forward through struggles and pushback and mistakes, because I'll tell you, if we made one, we made a million. And right. uh, just not giving up. Because at the heart of it for us was this belief that Jesus is alive and yeah. the Holy Spirit has mm -hmm. been sent and he wants us to win win what win souls for christ make people great like we just yeah. fundamentally believe that so despite all our mistakes despite what we didn't mm -hmm. know um we just thought no we're just going to keep on getting up because we believe that we should be walking in miracles yeah. and and so that could be messy and so we were okay with the messiness Maybe sometimes a little more okay than other people wished we were. Uh, yeah. but we, <laughs> well, you know, I think that heart, I mean, I like to think that that heart, the like, I just want to help people encounter Jesus. I just, I like, I want to save souls. I want to change lives. I think I'd like to think that that's in all of us, anybody who's kind of in ministry, particularly at a parish level. The, the problem is, man, if you can't see any reasonable route from yes. where I'm at today, and it's a mess, and we're not changing lives, um, to, to to like that dream. If you can't see a reasonable route to get there, you're yeah. like, I, I can't let myself keep that dream because it's too painful. And I think some people let the dream go because they don't have a they don't see how to get there. And not that it fixes everything, but I think the the book is like, hey, this is a this is a plan to get there kind of a step-by-step -step, it'll walk you through um at the very least it'll keep you keep you dreaming uh so you can keep the the dream and the conversation alive and figure out what it looks like in your in your parish give give some of our listeners some of the practicals about getting from a good intent good heart 
a faithful Catholic and fill, you know, parish filled with people like that to a, a place where you get a clear path. What's just describe some of the steps. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first, again, I, I, I talked about this, but the first kind of, you know, I divide the book in three parts. The first part is just like, Hey, this is, this is what a clear path is. There's this process of conversion and growth and discipleship that the church has laid out. And if we're aware of that, and if we can design ministry context to meet people at key spots along the journey, it's we can be far more effective in helping people grow and mature. We can provide those next steps for people. So that's like that's the first part of it. Just becoming aware of the process. Honestly, it, in some ways, it's intuitive for those I think about pastors and kind of veteran church leaders who've who've been in the lives of uh, their people. It, what it does is I, I provide a, a framework. I kind of take the church's language and just offer just a real simple uh, everyday language articulation of this process of conversion when, when someone becomes a disciple and then right of discipleship as someone grows in maturity to become a missionary disciple. I just try to take that in, and turn it into everyday language mm -hmm. and give people some tools. There's some you know tools and games on the website just so that you can establish a common language because half the battle is when we say the word evangelization, people think different things. Some people mm -hmm. think hospitality. Some people think uh just solid catechesis. Some people begin to think kind of devotional, liturgical. Some a few very rare birds start to think about a clear, explicit proclamation of the gospel. Some, maybe a small number think about, okay, that means equipping missionaries and, and people for mission in their everyday life. Mm -hmm. The truth is evangelization is all of it. And what, right. what I try and provide is a framework for people to recognize what people need at every stage of the journey. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. I'm hearing you say, you know, become, grow and go, right? Like, yeah, know, yeah. Disciple, grow in your discipleship and go make more disciples. It's like, Yahoo. yeah, I mean, so we introduced this idea that that that, it, that there's not a magic formula. I would suggest that there's four kind of main steps that if you want to meet people through their right through their spiritual journey uh, at the very beginning, people who are far away from the Lord, not associated mm -hmm. with the church you need some sort of relational outreach. And by that, I mean, you need people who can develop friendships with those who are not members of your church, who don't necessarily have, regardless of what, what their upbringing might be, who don't have a relationship, a living relationship with the Lord. You need people who can kind of meet them and develop those relationships and, and go to them, not just, you know, it's, it's far more than just being nice when they come to us. It is an actual going out to them. So we call it relational outreach. That should be leading towards what I call a conversion moment. Um, some people use Alpha, Christ Life. There are local retreats movements. A, a well-designed uh, parish Lenten mission could do this. Maybe it's an in-house retreat. Wh whatever it is, there has to be a place where you preach the gospel. You invite people to encounter the Lord. And you invite people to, to convert their lives. Um, that, that is irreplaceable. That is one of the things that, you know, I, I love that I was personally very convicted of this in my early years as a missionary. You know, John Paul II talked about the proclamation of the gospel being kind of the hinge on which all evangelization turns. Uh, that's mm -hmm. where that happens. It's called a conversion moment. But from there, people need to grow and mature. Um, 
I call this faith formation, which is, interestingly enough, that's the thing that most parishes, if they're doing anything, they're doing faith formation, right? Yeah. They've got a form.org subscription. They've got a class. <laughs> they've got something where they're like, they're, they want to help feed people. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic. The problem is, if nobody's experiencing conversion and nobody's connecting relationally, pretty soon you run out of that pool and if anybody's coming to your, you know, to your Tuesday night class, it's the same 10 and, people yeah. Yeah. coming. Uh, so that faith formation is essential, but there's some things that precede it. And there's also something that follows it. Um, everyone, right? Everyone is called to mission. Uh, the universal call to holiness and the universal call to mission are inseparable. Um, and it looks different for people, right? Depending on your charism, depending on your state in life. Um, but the Lord made everyone in some way, shape or form to be missionary and to evangelize. And that's what good evangelization formation. That's the fourth step. That's what that does. And so in a parish, it could look like a, a charism assessment, like called and gifted out of the Catherine of Siena Institute. It's probably some very simple skill training in prayer and intercession, how to share your story how to share the gospel in a conversational way, maybe how to facilitate a small group, just a handful of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It's not a master's degree. It's just a very practical equipping for people wherever they're at in their, their state in life to be able to share their faith in their ordinary coming and going. <laughs> he said it's not a master's degree, which makes me smile because there's plenty of very well-educated people who don't bring anybody to Jesus. And so so yeah. it's not an academic exercise. It's an exercise no. that challenges your courage and your obedience and your willingness yeah. to surrender to Christ. And you do not need any academic formation to, to go to that place where God can make you useful. Does academics help? Possibly, yeah. but not necessarily. Yeah, there's that great line in Evangelii Gaudium where Pope Francis talks about how lengthy training is not needed uh, for people to go. With, and like that, that's kind of challenging for those of us who are like, I'm a, I'm a lengthy trainer. Like, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I, I, right. I, went, through, I went through lengthy training. Uh, but when right. you really get into it, he's yeah. not diminishing the value no. of, of study or of, you know, a, a deep you know, knowledge of the faith. What he's saying is every beggar can tell the other beggars where the bread is. Amen. Amen. It's so true. And when I look from a practical perspective, I'll never forget this one lady at our church. And this is the honest to God truth. This sounds so fake. The numbers are, don't make any sense. Like if I can think about the amount of people I've brought to Jesus and a lot of people think, you know, it's a director, a former director of evangelization, all this stuff. It's not very many. Like, I, I wish it was more. Yeah. Like, it, it really isn't that many. This one lady, very faithful Catholic, never talked about Jesus in her life, never went to a single Bible study or anything, never gave mm -hmm. an hour of her time her entire life. At St. Benedict Parish, decided to come to Alpha. First time she ever did anything like that. Mm -hmm. And thought about quitting a couple times, but toughed it out. Finished to change her life. She literally brought 100 people to Alpha in the next 12 months. And I'm, I, wow. and she was the most softest spoken, that's awesome, gentle, loving lady. 
And it's like, oh my gosh, I lose my job if you keep doing this. Like you're way better at this. Yeah, <laughs> I love so that. Yeah. Exciting. No, I love that. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think the Lord loves to do that. I mean, I used to enjoy that in, you know, in my missionary days, you know, and I worked as a professional missionary and, you know, I was part of kind of the recruiting screening process. And every now and then the Lord would love to just say like, eh, watch this. And the most unlikely <laughs> candidate would prove to be the most fruitful. And when yeah. you really got into it, it's like, why is it? Why are they so effective? It's like, well, they love people. They they trust mm. Jesus. They step out in courage when he tells them to go talk to someone. Yeah, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, I mean, the skills matter, knowing how to start a conversation, you know, mm. being able to be in a place where you can really listen and and, and ask a good follow up question. Those, those skills, you know, sharing your testimony, all those things yeah. do really matter, but they don't matter more than love, uh, no. you know, and, and they don't matter more than courage. no. Amen. That conviction, right? That, and just if Jesus changes your life, you know, what, what I find hard is when you pastors sometimes will say, you know, you got to go and tell people you got to share your faith. Well, mm -hmm. it's like people may have faith, but they don't, some people don't feel like their life has been changed. And so it's like, yeah. you should have faith. Well, why? Well, because my mom said, you should like, it's like, that. right. <laughs> like, thanks. No. Like, and there's a very different, yeah, there's a very different, if, if somebody's not sharing their faith because they, they feel like they don't know how, or they feel like they have nothing mm -hmm. to say. Those are two different. Those are two different issues. Yeah. It's yeah. true. And you can be faithful and feel like you don't have anything to say versus don't know how, because sometimes yeah. when people, when their life is transformed by Jesus and they're filled with the Holy spirit, uh, they feel very compelled, but they might not have the skills. And that's right. a different, that's a different thing. Yeah. Well, and that's part of what, it, what a clear path helps with yes. in that those who've recognized like, gosh, I've got to be equipping people for personal mission. It's like, okay, great. But let's not put the cart ahead of the horse. Let's first provide a life changing encounter. What, whether mm. there's fireworks or not, you know, it's like, just because right. you, you haven't Absolutely. done hard drugs or hard time does not mean the Lord has not changed your life. Um, you know, uh, so it's like, uh, it's not about having a dramatic or traumatic story. It's about Jesus saved yeah. my life. Yeah. And, and from there, what actually now you have something to share mm. and let's talk about how you effectively share that. And right. part of what a clear path does is it helps you recognize the, the process that people are going through and create a space so that people can appropriately grow and mature. Cause sometimes mm. people can't figure out very intuitively because our parishes are just a maze, particularly this is, this is hard for like, uh, I'm going to say this like a vibrant or an mm. active or a whatever picked, you know, kind of like a suburban parish where mm. there's so much stuff, all yeah. good stuff. People can't sort through the, the, the stuff to figure out what's my next step. How do I actually mm. grow and mature? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All that the makes stuff we offer sense. becomes an obstacle. True. Because it's not, there, it, there's no continuum. There's no, it, things aren't linked. Right. There's no, it, it's not going from one thing to the next. They're yeah, there's, individual no, there's no path. Offerings. There's no path. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, honestly, Ron, this is the hardest part for, mo for most people. So yeah. 
in that you know, a clear path, it's like, okay, it's a path, but it's the clear part that's hard. Mm -hmm. Because what that means is that we're going to highlight some ministries and not others. Not, not every not every ministry is going to get equal airtime. And I don't mean to, to pick on them, but we're, let's just assume like, you know, the, uh, the knitting club and the conversion moment like Alpha, those don't get equal airtime. Mm -hmm. be because even though every ministry could could be like an on-ramp and could find a place in a healthy community, not every ministry is going to make up a clear path. In fact, a clear path is probably just going to be a handful of mm -hmm. ministries that are very strategically built, connected, and highlighted to help people grow and mature. Love that. So what are you, so if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm, in a ministry that I'm passionate, may have started it or taken it over from somebody else, but it's not in that pathway. What advice would you have for me? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I mean, there's two things. One, like, I just want to say, like, it's true. Like, the, the, the challenge of how important clarity is, how important simplicity is. There, there's some research that uh, Travis Bradshaw did um, he did his doctoral work at the University of Notre Dame, and he studies all of these churches. And what he finds is the less programming they have, the more growth they have. And, mm -hmm. and I'll say that again, because those of you who are listening, you're like, you know, I don't want anybody to drive off the road or you're like, <laughs> what? Because I know you don't believe it, but it's true. No. That regardless of their size, there is an inverse relationship to the amount of programming you have and how much your church grows. And, and it's, it's counterintuitive, but when you really get into it, you're like, we all have the same experience. You know, like you go to those kind of like smelly lotions, smelly candle shops, and like you take like, you know, like two or three whiffs and you're like, ah, I'm just overwhelmed and you walk away. Uh, and literally like those stores have figured out like, yeah, we, we can't put, you know, 24 choices out front. We need mm -hmm. just a handful because we, we overwhelm people. And they walk away. And, and un, unknowingly, many of our churches do the same thing, hmm. that, that we overwhelm people with choices and there isn't a clear pathway. They don't know where they start. They don't know where they end. Uh, and that's, that's part of what a clear path does. It's hmm. hard. But knowing that it's true, that it is like a kind of an empirical research-based thing, that, that clarity and simplicity matters, that helps as you enter into the difficulty of saying like, okay, well, where does, well, where does our ministry fit in? Or if you're mm -hmm. a pastor or, or a parish leader to say like, okay, how, how do we, or how, mm -hmm. how are we going to wade through the difficulty of these, this discernment to figure out which ministries we're highlighting and how, mm -hmm. how, you know, what kind what our path looks like. So that's the first part is just, mm -hmm. you just got to know that it's true. Okay. And then second, um, a clear path of discipleship is really just, again, it's just the, the church's process for making disciples. Mm -hmm. you know, so it could be the catechumenal process. And honestly, every ministry in some ways should have that built in. And what I mean by that is I would say like a youth ministry. Youth ministry is sometimes that we would think of it as a singular ministry. But when you really get into it, a youth ministry is kind of a series of moments or events, right? There's like the, the hangout barbecues where, where, where students can bring their peers to just come mm -hmm. and check it out. And then there's hopefully this moment where they go to a conference or something where people have a, mm -hmm. a profound encounter with the Lord. And then there's usually some regular, often Wednesday night, hopefully small group based thing where people can 
can learn that the young people can learn like habits and and the knowledge and, and what does it mean to actually live as, as a disciple and mm-hmm. then god willing there's a place where they're equipped for mission to their peers i mean real, real youth ministry doesn't just keep kids safe it actually makes them dangerous <laughs> right it actually sends them out yeah. to their peers um <laughs> Anyway, anyway, in some ways, almost any ministry can do this. It's just kind of following yes. the church's timeless wisdom. And so in a parish context, we would like to say that there's a main clear mm. path for adults, mm. but there's some, some uh, ministries like youth ministry or religious education that mirror that path mm-hmm. and intersect at key moments so that we can actually keep families together and not be another thing that, that tears them apart. That's so beautiful. We used to do that, too. We had a game plan specifically for the youth, which talks about the very things yeah. that you said. And I often think because when I work with different ministries, I'm trying to help them develop a pathway within yes. their ministry. So if you're a lector, you know, oftentimes, OK, if you're if you head up the lectors, what's your what's your dream? Well, that there's no oftentimes it's, there's no empty spots. Everybody shows up and they do a good <laughs> job. It's like, yeah, oh, OK. What if everybody loved scripture? What if that was your goal? What if yeah. your goal is that your parish loved scripture more than any other church in your diocese? And mm-hmm. you guys as lectors led the way by helping the people in your ministry fall in love with scripture, therefore fall in love with Jesus and find one or two times a year that you take that passion and love for scripture and invite people into it. What about yeah. that? Like that's, yeah, you know, it's like, it. Yeah. Same thing with the Eucharist. Like there's just, but, but what, sometimes our vision is so small, but develop right. a clear pathway for your ministry to yeah. have ginormous impact in your parish and just compare yourself to all the other churches mm-hmm. in the diocese and just decide to be number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like why That's, not? That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so it's good. So tell, Jim, why don't you share with us a little bit? Cause you work at the chancery. Tell us a little bit about your role, how you work with your team and maybe some success stories in terms of the people you work with, because you've oh, written yeah. this book while you're in your role, which is all awesome. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, early mornings and Saturdays uh, where, yeah, this is a labor of love. So there's a, yeah, my, there's a, there's a long list of, of home projects that, that I, that I need to, I need to get to now that have been. So there's any carpenters and, listening that live by waiting, you, they yeah. should go talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I got a good punch list. So uh, my team and I um, we're, we're, part of the, we are called the parish support team. Uh, there's six of us uh, coaches, and we all have a kind of like a, a ministry specialty based off our background. So marriage prep, youth ministry, religious education, RCIA, um, all of our kind of Spanish language support. All of us have the, you know, a, a specialty. And what really our archbishop has has asked is he's, he's like, we, we, we want all of our parishes to become a missional community. And that means collaborative leadership and a culture of generosity and a clear path of discipleship. So we've been kind of thinking and working in this concept that like part of a parish kind of rediscovering its missionary identity means having a plan to make and mature disciples, right? Or a framework. Uh, so we've been, we've been at this for a while and the, it's been really, really fun. Cause again, we've studied 
you know, folks around the, the country and even, you know, even the world. I was just reminded yesterday, hanging out with a friend that Canada is another country. Um, <laughs> right. So like we've, we've looked at those things, but we've been blessed to have about a dozen parishes here in our own archdiocese that are, that are really pursuing that like developing a clear path of discipleship and it's working like they're seeing fruit. So one of them, uh, one of my favorites, they were kind of the early, one of our early kind of leaders on this, uh, St. Francis Cabrini Parish, uh, Father Damien Zerline is there. Uh, God bless him. He's like, when he first got there, he was like, Archbishop, what did, did I do something wrong? Because it was, he's like, this parish should be closed. Like, there's no one here. And he said, like, literally, he was the pastor, the secretary, the maintenance guy. Like, that was it. There was nothing there. It, it was a kind of inner city, urban parish, um, originally kind of, you know, Italian immigrants. Well, they, you know, they had moved out kind of generations ago. And there's mm. a legacy. I mean, you know, we're still... The sons of Italy are still there and we're still like, you know, we have the spaghetti feed, but it, people weren't coming to mass anymore. Right. And they began to slowly gather together as a team. He, he got a team around him and they began to build a clear path of discipleship. Now, at the time, they didn't have the language. It's just kind of similar to kind of like your work at St. Benedict's. They just kind of were intuiting their way to it. They're like, mm. we need someplace where people encounter Jesus. And we, we need something for them after that. We need to help them grow and mature. And so they, they used Alpha for their conversion moment. They used in-home small groups. Uh, they used these very, very cool parties and outreach events to like connect with the, because the, the neighborhood turned over from being Italian immigrants uh, to now being a very hip, cool millennial center. And I tell you, when you go visit this parish, it is amazing. Beautiful young people, families who are there. It's vibrant. It's overflowing. And all of the numbers, like mass attendance, giving, weddings, baptisms, all of it, like, boom, they bounced. Hmm. And, and, and it's, you can see the V. You can see the effect of their labors. And it's really, really hopeful. So that's one of my favorite stories. Um, uh, another one, uh, this is, you know, where my family, my kind of family roots where my dad grew up, northeast part of the state of Nebraska, uh, Cedar and Knox County, uh, very small rural communities. And these, like these little rural communities, Father Owen Cordy, uh, Father Jim Kiter, they've also seen a tremendous turnaround. And, and I just say, like, it's hard for everybody, but, you know, for, for those uh, listeners who, who, who understand the dynamics, in our rural parishes, uh, particularly in the United States, right, where we built all of our churches a wagon ride apart. And now we have cars and people have been driving 45 minutes to go to Walmart for decades. But only now are we at the point where we just cannot keep many of these small, beautiful, I might add, but many of these small church buildings open anymore because the people moved, but the buildings stayed put. Right. Well, these guys have seen amazing things happen for them. They use a local uh, uh, retreat that as their mm -hmm. conversion moment, people have a profound encounter with Jesus. And then they've really leaned into small groups, both as a way to build disciples, but as a way to mobilize missionary disciples and, and mm -hmm. form them. Um, little old Hardington, Nebraska, it's a town of 1,500 people in Northeast Nebraska, mm -hmm. has over 60 small groups going for Lent. 
like, I, I mean, there's just like a handful of parishes in the world that I'm aware of that have more than 60 small groups. And this town has 1,500 people in it. It's amazing. It's so beautiful to see. I mean, I could go on. There's so many beautiful things happening. And here's, we were joking before we turned on, turned on the mics. You know, some, some of our listeners aren't going to understand what I'm about to say. And some of you are going to laugh your heads off. But miracle of miracles, not only are these parishes seeing lives changed, but some of them actually think the chancery was helpful in, in helping them figure out how to do it. Um, and for those of you who, who aren't laughing yet and you don't know what that means, I just have to say, not the experience of, you know, pastors in the field and parish leaders, they don't always experience the chancery as helpful. And praise God, you know, I've got a good team and we've got a great archbishop. Uh, some of these folks are not only seeing, seeing lives change, but they're like, you know what? Uh, thank you, Archbishop. Like this, right. like the folks you sent us have actually been helpful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And it's been fun because that's how you and I met kind of working together yeah, yes. with your team, equipping them to come alongside of pastors. And I just love that you guys did that. Like it was so you guys were the first church that I did that or church diocese. I did that. Way. Oh, yeah. And it was a wonderful. I was so excited for you guys and what you, who you were, what you were trying to do, the heart mm -hmm. you had and the people you surrounded yourself by. It's just so beautiful. Like, I really believe yeah. what your your archbishop did an amazing job of hiring the yeah. people he did. It, it felt so crazy at the time because mm -hmm. for many, many years, the chancery did good work. But but we were doing work that, you know, in retrospect, um, the parishes weren't yet maybe equipped to do it. But we were doing work that ideally the parish would do itself. So we were trying to evangelize young people. We were trying to comfort the grieving. We were preparing people for marriage and we were doing a darn good job. The problem was we never quite equipped the parishes to do that themselves. Right. And the fruit was always limited because when a young person would have this conversion moment on this trip we would take them on, or when someone would find comfort in their grieving, or you know, someone would be prepared for marriage and like, yeah, wow, we actually do want Jesus to be a part of our marriage. That moment happened apart from their local faith community, their pastor, their deacon, the couples and families in their parish were not a part of it. And often it didn't last. Yeah. And and what we realized is one, just budgetary reality, we couldn't sustain kind of a giant system like that. Mm -hmm. And two, it wasn't really what the Lord was asking us, at least at this moment. And so yeah. we, we just kind of reordered and said, listen, we're going to come alongside our parish leaders and we're going to serve them. And we're going to we're going to trust that their labors, their experience, yes. their knowledge uh with again, we're not afraid to bring our, our experience and our knowledge into that, but we mm. come with this kind of fundamental trust that they actually have it in them, that the grace is there, and that we just get to kind of extend the ministry of the archbishop and help them with that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been so fun. Uh, I mean, not easy, but it's been very fun and very grace filled. Uh, and again, I love that you guys are willing to experiment because, you know, you guys are in a huge diocese with, no. with you know, a couple of billionaires just funding the bishops every whim. Like, I mean, it'd be wonderful if that were the case. And, and, and so I, I work with other dioceses who do have teams of people that are dedicated to that one and only thing. But mm -hmm. you guys are a diocese that you do have your subspecialties. 
and you come alongside of of yeah parish. And I just think that's so beautiful. It's not unlike some parishes have loads of staff with which they create a leadership team from. It's like, well, that's wonderful. But loads of churches don't have any staff Most and they do yeah. it with with people who are already working and, and volunteers. And so there are ways to do it if you're committed to doing it. Yes. And uh, I really admire the work you've done, the team you've assembled and how you've grown and continue to learn from one another and how you love the pastors you serve. Yeah, on behalf yeah, of we really do. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's our home, you know, many of them, uh, I mean, there, there are pastors, you know, I mean, all of us, we're, we're in a unique spot where all of us grew up here. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the members of the team is a, is a convert, but all of us, we have roots here and we, yeah, I mean, you know, these are, this, this is our home. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, there's a, I think there's a, there's a gift that comes, comes with that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yep. it's so beautiful. Well, thank you for all the work you do. And, and thank you for taking the time to write this book. I honestly, I can't recommend this book enough. If you're a church who, and you're listening to this going, yeah, we do good work. We're good people. We're faithful, but I'm not so sure I could articulate a clear path. You're going to want to buy a handful of these and read them together. Mm -hmm. Like go through this chapter by yes. chapter. Jim, you've put all kinds of great material in here yeah. to help just the average Catholic work with their other peers to come up with something extraordinarily clear right. and effective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I appreciate you're saying that, Ron. I mean, that's what it's designed for. Like, like read it. There are discussion questions at the every, end of every chapter. You know, I did my best to kind of take off my nerd hat and write this in a way so that a pastor or a ministry leader can read it with a team. And they don't have to be theological experts. They just have to love the Lord and be willing to come alongside that leader. So, mm -hmm. so it's written so a group can read it together. And part one is like, okay, here's the concept. Here's, here's this process of evangelization and this notion of creating a clear path. And then part two, which we, I mean, we haven't even dove into, but it's just like, it's how do you build it? How do you discern? Mm -hmm. How do you assess your current ministries? How do you communicate when the time's right? How do you help ministries that aren't a part of it align to your clear path? Mm -hmm. And then maybe my, my favorite part is the part three is I wrote one of those kind of fictional case studies of uh, Father Dave and St. Mary's Parish and their odyssey to build a clear path of discipleship. Because it gives you a picture of kind of the internal hopes and dreams and fears and kind of twists and turns mm -hmm. when, when you set out on a journey like this to, to do this in a parish. It gives you a picture of, of what, it, what it looks like and what it feels like. So cool. So beautiful. And, and I'm thinking, too, just as you're sharing, I'm thinking from a, a diocesan perspective, if you're responsible for helping parishes like Jim mm -hmm. and his team are, get the book as a team and work through yeah. it yourselves and, and, and discern whether or not you believe that this could be helpful for the churches that you serve, because in, in both circumstances, I think you're going to be awfully glad you have it. I wish I had it all those years ago when we were struggling through, because we would have got there a lot faster and there would have been a lot less carnage in the process of learning. And so thank you for taking the time to distill your learnings and, and bless the church, Jim, your, uh, your gift. Well, thanks, Ron. I mean, you're the real deal. We were learning from you and, um, yeah, I'm honored. I mean, that you took the time to to read it and offer an endorsement. That means a lot because you know there's that's probably been the most gratifying thing. There's been a number of dioceses that have you know 
bought a couple of cases and and see see the fit that this is for their desire to, to help theirs. But I find it most gratifying when people who have done done it, they're like, they already kind of built a clear path. Maybe they called it a game plan. Maybe they called it something else, but they've, they've, they've done it. And they're like, man, like you just wrote a book that talks about what we did. Uh, and that's, that's what's most encouraging. People who have like, who've lived it, who've done it, who say like, yeah, this, thanks a lot. Your timing stinks. I wish I had had this <laughs> five years ago. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're working on it. But, you know, there would be, if it hadn't been for kind of pioneers like you and Father James, mm. uh, there wouldn't be a book because there wouldn't be a story to tell. There wouldn't have been best practices to distill. Mm. So thank, thank you, Ron. You. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It's fun how God brings us together. And I really believe the spirit is on the move in our church today to bring oh, yeah. clarity so that we can glorify him by our fruitfulness. Yeah, yeah. Amen. It's so true. So thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate you coming along the journey. Um, before I let you go, Jim, actually, before I wind up, I'm just thinking there are probably people going, how do I get a hold of this book? Yeah. How do I hear from Jim? Like, are you going to be speaking? Because you're a great speaker. You really need to be speaking. And you're going to put off those chores that your wife's probably <laughs> yeah. really frustrated. You've been letting go on Saturday mornings. But tell, tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up. Okay. Well, you know, I am willing to. I love my day job. and uh, But I, I have a heart for... Um, anybody who's like, I want to do this. I, I want to build a clear path. I want to make disciples. I want to see lives transformed. I would love to have a conversation. I'd love to help. Um, you can, uh, you can find the book at clearpathbook.com. Uh, that's a website. Uh, it has information. You can, that you can get a hold of me there. So it's got my contact information. So you can reach out, just hit the, the contact button. Um, and you can also order the book. It's on Amazon. Um, the website clearpathbook.com will take you there. Um, but you can also just go directly, uh, you know, if you search, I think Oprah wrote a clear path book. So that's not the one she and I did not collaborate on this project. She so, doesn't have Jim's the guy with the beard, not the, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So Jim Jansen clear path. Um, but yeah, clearpathbook.com will get you there. And on Amazon, there's both kind of like the Kindle ebook version and the good old fashioned paper copy. And that'll Lovely. get you started. Fantastic. That's a clear path to Jim Jensen. So that, that works out perfect. I, I hope you, uh, if you're a diocese, I'd really encourage you to get Jim out to do some workshops with some of your, your pastors. If you're, if you're doing some study days or things like that, it was a, just a great idea, a great way to engage. And so again, thank you for listening. I'm so glad you joined us for these conversations. Thanks for everything you do at your parish and your diocese to make it amazing. Jesus is alive and well, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and we should be making a difference and walking in miracles. So God bless you. And we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.